Are you a mistaker who needs correction? Or are you a sinner who needs forgiveness? I think sometimes we resist being labeled a sinner, but it's incredibly important for our journey of faith with Jesus. And today we talk about why. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. Hope that you're doing great today, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, listening on your commute to and from work, or maybe cutting the grass or just zoning out at home. I pray that this podcast, this message can really help you in your walk with Jesus. So we are in the starting point message series that we're doing. It's based on a small group curriculum that came out of North Point Community Church, Andy Stanley's church. And I love this curriculum because it really dives deep into asking questions about faith and assuming that there are no bad questions and there are no off-limits questions. Just having a conversation about who is Jesus, what is this whole thing about faith really mean? What does it look like in real time? And where do I stand in all of that? And I love it because even if you are uh, not necessarily a believer or if you've been a Christian your whole life, hopefully you'll find something for you to help you grow in your faith. Well, if you are listening in real time here in the great state of New Jersey, it was finally spring for about two days. And uh, it was it was warm and glorious, and now we're back to cold and rain. But that's the good news about New Jersey. If you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes. Anyway, uh, we are getting ready to launch into this springtime of year. We got some events coming up. So to check out our events, just simply go to TowerHillChurch.org, of course, any time of year. Uh, and you can check out all the things going on in the life of the church. And I want to encourage you to jump in. There's a piece of our website. There's a a tab that says next steps. You may be wondering, what are my next steps of faith? Where can I get involved? What should be next for me, for my spouse, for my kids or, or whoever? And, uh, that part of the website's designed to help you figure that out. And that's what we're about. We want to help everybody to take a step of faith. And so check that out. Check out the website. Don't forget to follow us on social media. So without any further ado, let's get into the next installment of Starting Point. Everything has a beginning. And this is the premise of Starting Point is that uh, even our faith has a beginning. And a lot of times those beginnings of our faith have a huge influence on our faith later on. For example, you know, I think the big problem for a lot of folks is that you're given a childhood framework of which to understand God, of which to understand faith, but but that childhood framework isn't enough. It's not enough to handle the everyday problems of life. It's not enough to handle when, uh, you know, it's like walking out on thin ice, right? It's, It's not enough. Our childhood faith is simply not enough to handle the things that come at, come at us when we're adults. And we start looking around, we're like, hey, wait a minute, I thought God was good. Hey, wait a minute, I thought that God uh, rewarded the good and punished the wicked. Hey, wait a minute, I thought that prayers get answered. Why isn't this happening? Why am I not seeing this in my life? And so the, the starting point, I think, or a lot of us, we need a restarting point as adults, and the starting point as adults is, is not just about, well, the Bible says this, 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 or the Bible says this. It's really asking a question, who is Jesus? 
Because we're not going to care what the Bible says until we care about Jesus and why he cared about what the Bible says. Remember, for those first followers of Jesus, there was no New Testament yet. It was the Old Testament. And so they were all living off of the reality of what happened on, in the resurrection. That that is what changed everything for them. And so what does that have to do with us in owning our adult faith, our adult starting point of faith? And that's what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. I think the, <laughs> it's all right. I think the, uh, the, first, the first step that we have to really take in understanding our faith is understanding the problem of sin. Sin is a problem that goes deep. And it's, it's not something that we really like to talk about. We don't like to talk about it with one another. We don't like to own up to sin. In fact, if I were to ask you, uh, how many people have made mistakes in the last three months? You know, you'd all be like, yeah, no problem. Totally, you know, no embarrassment whatsoever. And I said, well, how many of you committed sins against God over the last three months? Like, you would, you would know you're supposed to raise your hand, but you don't want to do it. And you in the front, you'd start freaking out. I don't want to raise my hand. Somebody, somebody could start asking a lot of questions. I don't want that to happen. But the thing is, sin makes us feel uncomfortable. You can't wiggle out of sin. You can't just um, explain sin away. Sin's kind of like a lockdown word, like sin is sin. But we don't like that. So we use other terms. We like to say things like, I made some mistakes. I made some mistakes. It happens. In fact, I think our default uh, adult starting point of faith is something like, I'm a mistaker who needs correction. <laughs> right? We're going to say, I'm a sinner who needs forgiveness. I'm a mistaker who needs correction. After all, you can correct sin. I did, let me just go home to the self-help. Uh, or you can correct mistakes. Let's go to the self-help category of Barnes & Noble, and I will go and I'll figure out what mistakes I can correct so that I am better. But see, here's the thing about a mistake. Mistakes are all about, like, insufficient knowledge. Right? So um, I'm taking a math exam, and I make a mistake, and, uh, you know, ins- I have insufficient knowledge, and I make a mistake. Or, you know, I, I, there's an oversight in my calculations, and there's a mistake. That's really a mistake, but that doesn't really capture what's going on with us most of the time. I mean, because sometimes we plan our mistakes. I'm going to have a secret credit card that my spouse isn't going to know about. <laughs> By the way, if you do that, just cut that mess out right now. It's going to kill you. <laughs> It will kill you. Bad idea. Let's get rid of it. Close the account. <laughs> Just... or, or, you know, or we know we're going to do something wrong or something that isn't the best for us ahead of time. What do you call that? A planned mistake? That doesn't even make any sense. A premeditated mistake? Or what about those premeditated mistakes that we do over and over and over again? Repeated premeditated mistakes. That's really hard to say. What is that? You see, the category of mistake doesn't adequately cover what's going on in our lives. Sometimes it does, but most of the time it's about something much deeper that's going on with us. Here's the thing that you learn. Is that you can't correct yourself. 
when it comes to that thing that's wrong, you can't correct you. It takes something from the outside to change you. It seems like no matter how hard you try correcting the matter, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. That's a problem. It's because it's not that you can correct yourself from what's going on on the inside. It's kind of like, um, you know, if you're, if you're under a certain age, you're going to have no idea what I'm talking about. But most of us grew up using typewriters. Back in the day with horse-drawn carriages, we used typewriters. And the way that the typewriter worked, man, those things were a pain. You don't know how good you have it now, anybody under 25. So we're using the typewriter, and the way that they are set up is there's a black ink ribbon, and going along, and then you make a mistake. Dang it! You couldn't just correct the mistake with the tools that you had at the moment. You had to remove the ink ribbon and put in the correction ribbon, which was like the whiteout, but before whiteout. And you'd have to go back to your mistake. Then you have to hit the same letter again. And then it wasn't quite all the way, so you had to go back. And then you had to take the correcting ribbon out and put the black ribbon back in, the ink ribbon back in. It was a big mess. And the thing is, you couldn't just correct it unless you had to change out the ribbons. I feel like this is the same with us and what happens on the inside when it comes to sin. You can't just correct yourself. You need a something else that you are currently not equipped with to come in and to make that correction. Because the truth is, I am not a mistaker who needs correcting. I am a sinner who needs forgiveness. I wonder, do you, do you resist that idea? Do you resist the idea that you're a sinner? Or, or is that offensive when I say that? I want you to just do something now. Okay, now listen, introverts, you're going to hate me for about 30 seconds. I just want you to turn to someone next to you, someone you came with perhaps, and just ask that question. Do you resist the idea that you're a sinner? If you ask your spouse, you're like, no fair, because you can't. They'll tell you you're a sinner. That's where I'm going with that. Or, or is, there, is there something offensive about that? Why are we not? Go ahead, turn to the other, couple, just a couple of minutes. Go. That was a quick confession. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we feel like we don't want to say what we're doing is sin because then that makes us feel bad. So we don't. We just say, well, I made some corrections. Or some of you are like, yeah, no problem. I am a sinner, 100%. Like, awesome. You get it. You get it. But I think sometimes for some people, it's hard to admit that what we're doing 
that we would call it sin. And then we think, well, wait a minute. What did Jesus say? Jesus is going to bail us out. Jesus came down to give us a big hug. Jesus is the man. (laughs) Wait just a second. Jesus, he's the answer. He's the grace guy. What did Jesus say about sin? Surely he's a lot easier on us than that mean old Old Testament God. That's what people think. So let's check out what Jesus did say about sin. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. If you did the 40 days with me this last Lent, uh, you've gone through this too, which is great because this will be familiar to you. But Jesus is teaching about sin. Big chunk of the Sermon on the Mount. Here we go. Chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound like nice Jesus. Like buddy Jesus. That... Oh, wait a minute. He must say something else. Because what he's saying is, the Pharisees, who were known for what? Righteousness. We're not righteous enough. We have to be better. And the teachers of the law. Okay. But he's definitely going to bail us out, right? All right. So let's keep going. You have heard that it was said, and every time Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, he's referring to the Old Testament commands. Uh, That was their, their starting point. And he was interpreting what was going on. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. I'm sure everyone's like, yes, gotcha. (laughs) We're with you. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Yes, absolutely. We're with you, Jesus. Keep going. Preach it, brother. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoa, 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 whoa. Easy. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which was like a, a slur, like saying, you're an idiot. Like anybody who says that to one another is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus said that. Well, I mean, I mean surely, I mean, you're just reading this in con- you know, out of context. He goes on, right? I mean, he says... Something else. Well, he teaches on a lot of things. Here's what he teaches about adultery, in case you weren't uncomfortable enough. <laughs> you, <laughs> you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Thanks a lot, Jesus. <laughs> I am not liking this sermon. And I'm going to let you know after the service. What Jesus did, he didn't come here to lower God's standards and be like, okay, everybody, all's good. I'm going to forgive you. What we see in the Sermon on the Mount is he's raising the bar consistently in every area of life. He's actually giving a broader definition of sin. He's actually saying, you thought you were good because you didn't kill anybody or you didn't commit adultery. Guess what? I bet you did. I bet you did and you didn't even realize it. Because sin is a much worse problem than you even understand. He came to show just how 
fatal and final sin is. And that, that's the problem, that sin is thoroughly corrupting us. It has changed all of our ability to even make decisions. Our ability to even act in kindness or goodness is even tainted by what sin has done. You see, if we're all created in the beginning, we're created in this relationship with God, we're we're face-to-face with God. And you want to just imagine your fingers folded into each other. That was the relationship that we were created with. And then when sin happened, it's like, at that moment, we decided, instead of this face-to-face relationship, we're going to turn our own way and be our own God. That's really what the decision of sin is. I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust myself for whatever it is that I want. And what that did fundamentally is when we turned from God, that severed the relationship. What Jesus is saying is, it's much worse than you think. But don't worry, there's good news. Why do you think he said that? Why do you think he made a point to teach that? Well, I think it's because most of the conversations I have with skeptics or with people who don't believe in Jesus or don't believe in God are things like, I never killed anybody. I'm a good person. I mean, that's, that's a pretty low bar. I'm just like, yeah, probably most of us, right? Or I haven't committed adultery. I haven't done these things. I'm good. I just make mistakes. Well, Jesus said, look, until you understand how bad the problem of sin is, you can't get to forgiveness. That which you don't confess, Jesus can never address. You have to be real with God. And we don't even like being real with ourselves. And that's where a lot of us struggle. We looked a couple of months ago at Romans 6.23. It describes this perfectly. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin has separated us and created death. But through Jesus Christ, go to the next slide, he makes a way to the gift of God, which is eternal life. Now, why is this important? It's important because if you can't get honest about the problem of sin, you can't accept a savior. I was trying to think about an illustration that would capture this. And I was thinking about when I was a youth uh, pastor, and I would take kids to the corn maze. This is a big deal every year. Go to the corn maze, and they always have the uh, the signs up there, and and they always have some guy thinking he's hilarious. Like these signs are really corny, <laughs> right? And everybody does that, but apparently they love the joke. But the best is with teenagers is you do this thing at night. It's way better. You got to do it at night. You got to do the night corn maze. And so what we would do is we take a couple of vans full of kids to the corn maze. And each of the adult leaders had their own team of kids who would go with them. And the idea was whoever can get out first, you, you know, and in the order you get out is the order of which you win, you know, right? And it's all about winning because that's really what life is about, kids. It's all about winning. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it was a it was great. I was a great role model. So anyway, uh, now the maze, corn maze people, they give you, they gave each adult leader a map. So it's like, so you're not going to get lost. You can help the kids out, whatever. So I get my team together. The first thing I tell my kids, we don't need no stupid map. 
Like I was somehow like a corn maze purist. <laughs> oh, watch this, man. I, you guys got this? I got this? Man, I'm good at this. I bet you guys are good at this. Yeah, we're good at this. We don't need no map. You can tell what's coming. So uh, they were going to blow an air horn every time a group left the maze to you know, signal another group made it to the end. So we're out there, I don't know how long, but clearly we're lost. We have no idea where we are. And we hear the first air horn. And I'm like, dang it. Then like a few minutes go by, we hear, like all the other groups are getting out. And there we are stuck. And the whole time I'm playing it cool. I'm not going to admit that I'm lost after my rah-rah speech. I'm going to wait for some kid to say they're lost, and I'll blame the whole thing on them. So, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. So, so anyway, after a while, it like, clearly, and everyone's getting all discouraged and mad, and I'm just like, and, and one of the kids is like, you know, maybe we should look at the map. I'm like, yeah, you know, let's just see. Let's just take a look, just for kicks. So I pull out the map, and we were able to identify where we are, and of course, the first thing I said was, oh yeah, I figured we were about here. Man, such a liar. Anyway, we're, see, this is my confession time. It's good. So, we're, uh, so we figured out where we are, and then we were able to find our way out of the maze. I think this is a window into the human experience with God. Until you admit that you're lost, you're not going to be able to get out. You're not going to be able to get to where you want to go. And the thing is, God's given you a map. But most of us feel like, no, 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 I could do this. I could do this life. I don't need no stinking map. I could figure it out. And then things aren't going so well, and you're feeling miserable, and people are wondering, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Things are great. Life is good. I don't want to tell them how lost I am. You have to admit you're lost if you're ever going to get out. Jesus preaches on this. In Luke chapter 15, he, he tells a few different illustrations, and they're all about lost things. There's a, a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son, which you're very familiar with, I'm sure. Many of you have heard this story. You've heard it here or you've heard it other places in your life, the prodigal son. The whole point of Jesus telling these stories of lost things is that God celebrates when somebody who is lost admits it and says, I'm ready to be found. Actually describes it as rejoicing in heaven when that happens. We decide to pull out the map and come home. So in the story of the prodigal son, very famously, we know that, by the way, I do think that the story should be renamed The Awesome Dad and the Two Idiot Kids. But until until I get my own uh, translation of the Bible, that's not going to happen. But the idea is, uh, this prodigal son, he's like, hey, dad, you know, just wondering if I could pretend you're dead and you could give me the inheritance money I'm going to get. What do you think? And then Awesome Dad's like, Sure. And he gives it to him, which essentially was like, let's pretend you're dead so that I could have your money and leave you. So the son goes and he just completely blows it and he blows his life and he hits a total low point in his life where uh, he, he knows he's lost. And he's ready to take out the map. 
And before he comes home, he comes up with a plan. His plan is, in verse 19, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. That was his plan. He was going to go to his dad and he was going to say that to him. Hoping that his dad was going to forgive him. That he was going to let him come home. Watch how this plays out. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Don't don't miss this. This is so important. The father ran out to the son before the son ever said a word. It wasn't because he was sorry. It was because he loved him. The son said to him, and then he, there he goes. The son, he goes with his plan. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Here's a truth that just blows your mind. Is that while you're still a long way off, your heavenly father is the one who's running towards you. The one who you sinned against. The one who you decided you were going to turn your back on. That very same one is running and chasing after you even before you say you're sorry. This is why it's so important. Is because a lot of times we think of sin and forgiveness as very punitive. Right? I do this, God gets mad, I get punished, I ask forgiveness, I do this, God gets mad. Right? So we have this very punitive view. When I think that's the reason Jesus told this story. He said, it's not like that at all. Yes, there's a punitive aspect of sin and forgiveness, but, but that's not the relationship. The relationship's the relationship. I'm running toward you because I love you. And all you have to do is, is figure out that you're lost and that you want to come home. And I'm there. I want to meet you before you even get to the door. Because I love you. So back to our starting point of faith. I think this helps start to answer the question, who is Jesus? The first thing about Jesus is that he's the one running toward you. He is the God that is running toward you. Maybe all your life. Maybe you've felt this before. You know, when I feel it, I, f- I feel Jesus running toward me when um, he puts kind of blessings in my life that I either didn't count on or didn't know that they were there. Like a person comes into your life and says something at just the right time. And you know, that's like a word from God. You don't know why. You just know, like, God wanted that person to say that to you. And that person may have no clue. 
Or maybe it's a, it's a situation that kind of works out in a way where you can see, like, oh, man, I think God did that. That's how God runs after me. And maybe that's been your experience of him running after you and you didn't even realize it. And I think the second thing that answers the question or starts to answer the question of who is Jesus is that he wants you to understand sin so that you can move forward toward forgiveness. He's given you the map. He just wants you to admit it. He just wants you to get to a place where you understand that you can't fix it on your own, that you need a savior. And this isn't just a one and done. This is every day as a follower of God. I I don't know. Maybe I'm just not that good at it. For me, it's every day. Like, need that everyday reminder. Look at the map. Admit that you're lost. And he'll get you through to the end. That's the starting point.